Thank you for listening to this Belly Up Sports Podcast Network product. Some said we go belly up, so we made it our name. And we're still here. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. This episode is brought to you by Hyperice, the leader in advanced warm-up and recovery technology. They have tons of innovative products, like Venom-heated wearables to help soothe sore back muscles, Normatec compression boots to speed up recovery and increase circulation, and Hypervolt massage guns to improve mobility. Loved by athletes like Naomi Osaka and Erling Holland. Try them yourself. Get 10% off your order with the code MOVE at hyperrice.com. You're listening to Theater in College Hoops. I'm Subi alongside me. As always, Taylor Dammel. Taylor, uh, last episode, I after after the intro song, I was like welcoming back our friend uh, Taylor Dammel. I was like, this guy's the co-host. <laughs> I don't know why wow. I was introducing you as like a guest. You know, there was a several week span there over the holidays that maybe I wasn't a co-host. So I don't I don't blame you for that particular in, uh, introduction there. You're you're fighting through a cold right now, which I really appreciate. You know, How are you feeling? Life just goes on, man. You know, people people get sick. That's just life. You got to play hurt, um, especially when you have a four and a half, five month old at home. Things be things be happening. You know, noses be running. <laughs> so that's just how it goes sometimes. Roach be soaring. Yeah, I get it. That, you're right. You're right. I don't get it actually. I can appreciate it though. Uh, but glad to have you back, co-host. Taylor Dan will always by my side. We're brought to you by Belly Up Media. Go download, subscribe, rate, and review us on whichever device it is that you use. Your college hooper of the day, I'm going to go with Jacobin Brown from Texas. Uh, Jacobin Brown was a former guard there for the Longhorns. I may have used Jacobin Brown a couple years back. We, we've been doing this pod now for a while, Taylor, and so... There's going to be some times where I might recycle some players, but nonetheless, Jacobin Brown's still a big pull, a pretty random pull. He's played overseas, had a nice professional career, and he was also a all Big 12 first team member. Jacobin Brown ran the point, a little bit of guard there for the Longhorns. Uh, I liked him in college, so he is your college hooper of the day. Check out the website at theaterandcollegehoops.com and make sure to follow me at CBB Theater to find out where the feat is. You should also follow Taylor at Taylor Dammel. Let's open the curtains. Hate to shoot, Paul, the runner, loose ball, it's 
Taylor, welcome back again. We are at the midway point of the season, my friend, and there is some good hoops this week. Some some good slates, some good basketball going on, especially in the Palmetto State. Tuesday night, Clemson loses in over, double overtime to Georgia Tech and South Carolina. They end up losing uh, to Georgia in a knockdown, drag them out type of game. But there was just a lot of good hoops and anything stand out to you before we dive into uh what we're going to dive into today yeah you know i mean as we've talked about before unless you're maybe uh the number two or number three team in the country it's hard to win on the road you know we saw baylor go down uh, a, a game we discussed on the last episode um that went to, they went down on the road to kansas state in an overtime game new mexico loses to utah state as or uh, excuse me beats utah state um at home Cincinnati takes down rank, a ranked TCU team, you know, so on and so forth. So uh, Iowa State goes on the road to BYU, loses. These are all ranked teams that lost on the road. Um, Kansas d- dominated. Purdue dominated that rivalry game against Indiana. But, you know, I, I know it's not going out on a limb to say that, yeah, in mid-January, it's hard to win on the road in conference play. But over the last two weeks or 10 days, I should say, not only is this happening, but it's happening four, five, six times seemingly a day in college basketball where a ranked team is going on the road and losing. So uh, it's why one of the reasons why we love this sport for sure. Um, but just something that's notable there is um, especially in, in some betting lines. Cause as we've discussed, oftentimes those ranked teams are favored on the road and those home underdogs are uh, definitely looking pretty uh, at this point during the year. They are for sure. But to go back to one of your last picks, you went two and one last week, by the way. We're going to get to the betting segment a little later. The one loss, the most shocking one, I would say, UNLV straight up beats Boise State on the yep. road, and so ridiculous, just ridiculous. <laughs> you got it. You couldn't go six and zero. Oh. the The betting gods wouldn't let you go six and zero oh over the last two picks. But so frustrating, say- so frustrating. Like especially because of this last six games that I we bet on, that one was kind of like the in my mind was like the most for sure one. <laughs> Probably should have been a slam dunk, right? Yeah, yeah, right. But it, it's so funny because Taylor, there is this rhetoric about it's tough to win on the road, and that's a hundred percent true, no doubt about it. But two of the longest active home winning streaks have been snapped this season. So Providence lost. Now, of course, they they were missing Bryce Hopkins for a half, and then Boise State just had they they supplanted Providence with the longest home winning streak and they just lost to UNLV. So I understand it's very difficult to win on the road, but we've just seen two of the longest home winning streaks come to an end. So it's not impossible. And the teams that perform the best at home, they're even still vulnerable. It's just, it's been a wild, wild year. And I feel like a lot of people always say this every single season, but this tournament is going to be insane. Like we've got the Mountain West that's better than some power conferences. I think the Mountain West is better top to bottom than the Pac-12 is, right? You've got you've got some really good mid-major teams that are streaking. Like they haven't lost since the first couple games of the season, like a GCU or a Samford, right? And then you got the the big dogs who are occupying the top 10. You got you got Tennessee, you got Purdue. You got Kansas, who just got right, got really, really right. Uh, and then, of course, the Big 12, top to bottom. It's just, it, it's a ton. It, it, there's just a ton going on. But the big thing that stood out to me, Taylor, and this is going to dovetail into our predictions 
is Clemson. I know I started off this the episode with this, but Clemson is just doing what Clemson does. If you fall in love with Clemson prior to the ball dropping in Times Square, prior to Dick Clark's New Year's Rockin' Eve, prior to Andy Cohen and Anderson Cooper showing up drunk on our TV, ringing in the new year. If you fall in love with Clemson prior to all of that, you're a dummy and you have nobody to blame but yourself. And in terms of predictions, I'm going to get us started off on the right foot. When they were hot in November and December, I said, I'm going to hang tight. All right, I'm going to hang tight because this is what they do. They just fold and flounder because we start, we talk about, we talk about their seed line, not even if they're going to make the tournament. We start talking about seedings like around Thanksgiving and approaching Christmas. And then January and February, they just stop playing basketball and they miss the entire tournament. Taylor, before I get your thoughts on Clemson, let me just read you some stats from Heat Check, our good friends over at Heat Check, Eli Becker. Thank you for actually putting out the stats because it wasn't just a feel thing for me. I was like, I know for a fact these guys fold like a tent come the new year. I just need some numbers. So here are some numbers for you. Since 2014, 2014, they started 13 and four. They finished 10 and nine. 2015, they started eight and four, finished eight and 11. 2016, they started 12 and six, finished five and eight. 17, 11 and two, finished six and 14. 2018, they started 14 and one. They finished 11 and nine. 2019, they started 10 and three, finished 10 and 11. 21, started nine and one, finished seven and seven. 22, started nine and four, finished eight, eight and 12. And 23, started 15 and three, finished eight and eight. Stop buying into Clemson. You don't have to jump into the water. Wait till they prove it in January and February. Totally, because they really, this year included, gave you a lot of fool's gold there early in the year, beating a, you know, beating a Boise State. They beat Alabama. They beat South Carolina. They beat TCU. <laughs> you know, even Davidson's not a bad team to beat. But then you look at their losses. They're not bad losses. You know, I mean, losing to Memphis is not a bad loss. Losing to Miami, North Carolina is not a bad loss. It's just that you can't do it all at once here. You know, like we can't, <laughs> they can't, they've essentially lost what? Uh, what did you say? What was the set? Five of their last. They've lost four of their last seven. Five. Yeah, and then five of their last eight games. So it'd be it was it'd be interesting if they would have lost to Alabama, Boise State and whoever in South Carolina earlier in the year, and then turned around and beat Miami, North Carolina, then we'd be in a whole different discussion. We'd say, oh my, look, Clemson, not your father's Clemson team. They're actually ramping up into January, you know? So I guess timing is everything, right? And this certainly doesn't set you off very well for conference play. Now, like I said, they had some okay losses, but losing at home to Georgia Tech is not one of those okay losses. Um that's that's a rough one, especially giving up. What did they give up? Ninety three points at home, I think was the was the number that they gave up. So no, there's not a lot to like right now. And at this point, it's kind of is a dumb thing to say, but uh, the only thing they can do to turn around and impress me is like win more games, right? Like win eight, ten more games. But there, but there's nothing that is that I'm looking at that I'm like, oh yeah, you know, you know they played these teams close or whatever. They lost Miami by 12. They lost to North Carolina by 10. They lost to Virginia Tech by 15. They gave up 93 to Georgia Tech. So it's not even like they're playing well when maybe losing some tight tight ones. That's a whole different discussion, right? Yeah, if you lose a couple tight ones and 
like, okay, that's just how it goes in conference play. They're losing by double digits to these teams, some of them at home. That's a bad sign. Yeah. So when I look at Clemson, their goal should be just to make the tournament. Okay. Like I, I, I've scoffed at people talking about seed lines, but right now their goal should be to make the tournament. They do have some good wins. I'm going to give them credit there. The, the, the names you mentioned, those are really good wins. Bama's a lot looking like a great win. Uh, TCU, I think you had mentioned that's a nice win. South Carolina, it's a rivalry game. Good win, a decent win, but they, you can't go to double overtime against Georgia Tech, man. And the most the most disappointing part is that I think P.J. Hall had a career high against Georgia Tech. Ian Shefflin breaks his back for this team every single night. I swear he's getting every single offensive rebound known to man. He's got like 16 and 11. He's, he's built like me, but I personally think he's their most important player. Like obviously P.J. Hall's amazing, but Ian Shefflin's their most amazing or most important player. And Shefflin was actually the best player on the court during that Carolina game. P.J. Hall didn't really show up, but I don't blame him a ton because he just got eaten up by Armando Baycott, who hasn't in the ACC. So the thing the thing with Clemson is that P.J. Hall's performing pretty well. Ian Shefflin's been a real shot of life. Is anyone else going to step up and, and, and help out here? How are you losing these games? And the thing is that the ACC is not that strong. Watch, I'm sure an ACC team is going to go to the Final Four because that's all they do the last couple of years. But they're not the ACC is not that strong. So in terms of Q1, Q2, like opportunistic wins, there's not a whole lot there. But there's only two teams in the ACC that I trust, and that's Duke and North Carolina. Clemson, you actually are contributing. There was a point where you were you were like, okay, the ACC is mediocre, but I'm not contributing to that mediocrity. Uh Take, take a look up. You are now. Well, and the, the thing is, too, is like you kind of just referenced. You can't have P.J. Hall going for like 31 and 17 and losing that game. Like that's not especially because to Georgia, Tech. Look, to Georgia Tech. If you look at Georgia Tech, too, you know, they had starters who didn't score. <laughs> How did Georgia Tech win this game? And you're losing to them. Right. Yeah. Right. So, um, yeah, so, you know. At one point in the year, I think Wiggins led them in scoring in a couple of games. He had no points uh, against Georgia Tech. Um, I know that in a couple of games also this year that uh, who else did they have as a leading score? Oh, you know, they had, um, like you said, you know, Gerard has led them in scoring multiple times. P.J. Hall, of course, has led them multiple times. Um, I don't know. It's just, it's, it's a, they're getting nothing out of the bench. They're getting, they're getting almost everything out of two players. So literally, if they just had a third guy step up and score the basketball, we'd be in a whole different discussion. But yeah, uh, it's tough. And then we talk about like the defensive side of the ball, too. That's a difficult thing. You know, box score is not going to tell you anything about that. But um, yeah, you can't be you can't be losing games when your your stars are are dominating and you're still losing to at home to the Georgia Techs of the world. And we're Georgia Tech guys. So I don't want to hate on Georgia Tech. Our, yeah, for sure. Know? But yeah, two and four in the ACC, despite the fact that it is a weaker ACC than maybe we um, are used to. It's still it's it, you fall down below 500 in conference play. It is hard, even if it's just only six games into the conference slate. It's hard to claw back up. So because that means you got to go on a three game winning streak, which is totally plausible. But you have to do that multiple times over. Um, Going to be a tough road ahead for Clemson. Uh, I guess you could say that at least they got some of those tougher games out of the way, although they do play Duke uh, next weekend. 
Um, but God, then their schedule after that is, you know, they'll run over Louisville, I hope. But then, you know, you got Virginia, North Carolina again right after that. So um, if they're going to be able to do what they want to do in the future, there's a stretch in February where they go Syracuse, Miami, NC State, Georgia Tech, Florida State, Pittsburgh, Notre Dame, Syracuse, Wake Forest to end the year. They got to go like eight of ten in those games, essentially seven of 10, because those are all I don't games see that, that happening. Right. But those are all games. That's the bottom half of the conference. Right. So if they can't do that in against most of those teams, then, then this season is going to go up in flames. I don't see any slam dunks there outside of Louisville. Like if you told me Syracuse beat Clemson. Okay. That makes sense. NC state and wake forest have been far more impressive. NC state's kind of rolling. Like those two aren't, aren't gimmies either. So that's what I mean by contributing to the mediocrity. Clemson could win those games, but totally. it's not it's not as if North Carolina was playing those teams. And I would say, yeah, for sure. Like maybe they can beat Pitt as well, but Pitt's demonstrated that they're always tough. They're they're coming off of attorney birth from last year. So it, it just I think the thing that really upsets me, Taylor, and if it sounds like I'm dumping on Clemson, it's because I absolutely am. If you're a Clemson <laughs> fan listening to this and you want to make an enemy out of me, I totally get it. Like I would say if I was a Clemson fan, Subi hates us. He's being a complete hater. He's going to do every, he's going to take every chance he can to, to dance on us when we lose, but won't say anything when we win. That's probably accurate. That's probably pretty damn true. But what gets me Taylor is we go head over heels for Clemson for some reason when Brad Brownell and Clemson have not proven anything in January and February. And there's plenty of teams that are having great success early on and have still sustained it like at a mid-major level that I'd rather give attention to. I'd rather give the smaller guys who are stringing together, maybe not the best November and, and December's like Brownell has over the past few years, but this year, right? They're, they're like I mentioned, a GCU or, or a Samford. I'd rather hear about those guys than Clemson. Well, I think it's because Clemson has the resources. They're in the, the right recruiting area they're in the right conference they're certainly have been one of the top football teams in the country so our eyes are on clemson generally for the majority of the season and then so what what i think ends up happening is their football team does well and simultaneously their basketball team is doing well through november and december and so those things kind of rise together right and then <laughs> not this year because clemson football maybe some dark times ahead for clemson athletics actually but um but maybe that's part of it where, you know, we ramp up, um, you know, both sports at the same time. They're both playing well. And then all of a sudden we get to mid-January and you're like, well, wait a second. Maybe this team's not that good. And I think we just keep repeating the same process over and over. Well, Clemson basketball needs their chaperone, Dabo, and Clemson football. Totally. <laughs> right. Yeah. It's like, it's, yeah, it, it's like when it's, uh, it's like uh, the Friday night dropping a breaking news story or, or like when the Super Bowl kickoff drop some kind of news story you know so hopefully it just gets yeah. covered up same concept yeah well i'm gonna they're, take a step back from <laughs> yeah that's what uh mr swinney can you help us davo can't help Dab davo he can't help you he's got his own problems man i mean so. davo yeah yeah davo is the type of chaperone that would make sure that at your middle school social you are leaving room for the lord too so i mean right. he is actually a good chaperone that's right you know what though like they struggled this year only by their standards. They were still pretty darn good. They won a bowl game. That's more. They won a postseason game. Okay. Uh, I, I don't know how Clemson did in the NIT, whatever, but uh, their goal should be to make the tournament. They have enough firepower to do it. 
get right. So I'm going to take a step back, stop dumping on Clemson. But the reason I brought them up, Taylor, is because that was one of my predictions in November that I felt good about. Let's revisit now some of our off-season predictions, okay? Uh, we're at the midway point of the season, man. First of all, take a step back, breathe a little bit, but we are at the midway point. There's only about half a pizza pie left. So I want to revisit some of our preseason predictions, T, and we're going to categorize them into four buckets, all right? One bucket is going to be up in flames. There's no chance these predictions are coming to fruition. It's over. We're done halfway through. We gave it a good shot. We tried going out on the limb, but it, it ain't happening. Then the other bucket trending down, uh, not looking great, but still salvageable. We could still redeem something from this trending down. Then we go trending up. Hey, I'm not ready to two-step just yet. It's not a slam dunk, but we're close. And if they can continue their trajectory, the predictions are going to come true. And then we have the 100% slam dunk, where I don't even need the rest of the season, Taylor. My preseason prediction has already come true, and I am 100% correct. So I'm going to start, Taylor, with up in flames. All right? And I'm going to start with my SEC coach of the year. That was Todd Golden. And I got a bit of audio to share. Or will they win the games that they should win? I think they will. I think last year in a first season upheaval, I don't know if Florida was going to win some of the games that you would expect a Florida team to win. This year, with the talent that they bring back and the cohesion, I expect them to take care of the Q3, the Q4 games, maybe even some of the Q2. The question is, can they be solid in Q1 opportunities? Um, that's where I'm really hoping Todd Golden takes it to the next level, not just being competitive in those games, but actually pulling some off. Maybe a, like two games below 500 in those Q1 opportunities. If you can be 500 in those opportunities, I expect Florida to be uh, a tournament team. So give me Todd Golden. Give me the fact that he has Will Richard, Kugel, and Zion Pullen, who's going to be a huge impact transfer. Uh, and the fact that I think Todd Golden can just straight up coach. I think he's one of the best coaches, or better coaches, I should say, uh, in that conference. So I'm going to take Golden for SEC Coach of the Year in Florida, gets back on track uh, and, and restores some order for their basketball program. That's dead. That that ain't happening, T. Uh, so there's a combination of things. First of all, I mentioned the quad wins that I expected Todd Golden in Florida to have. And I said if they can go like two games below 500 in quad one opportunities. Uh, right now they're 0-5. All right. They have not won a quad one win. Now, I was correct in terms of them taking care of business quad two, three, and four. They only have one quad two loss, and that was against Virginia. But they're 0-5 in Q1. And uh, I think they have six more opportunities left and it's not looking great because just a couple days ago, they got demolished at the hands of Tennessee. Uh, so that's one component as to why this is up in flames. But number two, Taylor, the SEC has teams from all over the place that just have coaches that are way more in line to win this award. And that's Mike White at Georgia. That's Lamont Paris at South Carolina. That's Chris Beard at Ole Miss. That's potentially Rick Barnes, who I don't think will win it because he's just so old and has so much cachet and everyone expected Tennessee to be great. But Rick Barnes is more deserving than Todd Golden. John Calipari is more deserving than Todd Golden. I cannot sit here in good conscience and say that there's opportunity for Todd Golden to surpass those folks. 
SEC coach of the year was a very bad pick. Was it worse than mine? What do you got? I mean, mine was Muss. They suck. That's too. a good question. <laughs> yeah, right. Like, I mean, the SEC has been better than we anticipated to be this year, and we picked like the only two teams that were worse than anticipated oh, in God. the whole conference. So, is that not an accurate statement? No, no. Like, like it was, it was between so Florida, uh, Arkansas, and Texas A and M have all been severely disappointing, and we picked two of them. Yeah, I mean, it's not like we we're going to pick Missouri or Vanderbilt to do anything in conference. Missouri's a little maybe worse than I anticipated, but we we didn't have any, uh, you know, Vanderbilt we certainly weren't going to pick. But we literally could have picked like eight or nine other options and could have said, hey, that's still alive. Nope. <laughs> we picked pretty much the only two that are completely dead uh, in this conference. You're absolutely right. So that one's up in flames. My other one that's up in flames, Taylor, before I get to yours, uh, Mike Woodson. I had him winning coach of the year. That's also not happening. I've tried my best to hold out hope for Indiana, but at this point, I'm just, I'm just fulfilling an agenda. My eyes, the metrics, they're not good. They're very, very mediocre. They got taken to the woodshed at home by Purdue. And you would say, well, it's Purdue. No, it's a rivalry game. Indiana should be up for that and put forth a far better effort. Additionally, the big 10 has pretty much surpassed Indiana this season. Uh, I think on the whole, generally speaking, in his tenure, Mike Woodson has done a pretty good job. But I was expecting some some uh, some more wins and some progress from where he's been. They're kind of just stuck in neutral. Mike Woodson ain't going to win Big Ten Coach of the Year. I, I like you got Northwestern who's playing pretty well. You've got Wisconsin. Greg Gard might have the in, inside track, even though they just lost to Penn State. If you want to just go with the dominant team and Matt Painter feel free. Uh, Mike Woodson, that one's up in flames and it ain't going to happen. Well, so is mine in that conference too. Tom Izzo. Oh, okay. Tom Izzo was mine. I mean, they're two and f- what are they? Two and five in conference? Two and four in conference? <laughs> Michigan State? It's- yeah, two and four in conference. Um, I guess the only, like if there was one ember left, like one ember, just that somehow Smokey the Bear like didn't get to with putting this fire out, it would be that it is Izzo and Michigan State, you know? But, I mean, if this was literally any other school or program or coach in this particular circumstance, it would be – they'd be toast Malone on this one. So, um, yeah, mine's pretty bad too. The unfortunate part about this is picking Tom Izzo to win the Big Ten Coach of the Year was not going out on a limb. Like, <laughs> you know – It's not like I was predicting some crazy shit to happen here. They were the number three team in the country, right? Four, two, somewhere, whatever. They were top five in the preseason polls. So I'm sure someone listened to our preview episode and was like, oh, wow, great reach for Tom Izzo there. And now it's like, wow, I couldn't have performed worse on on this. At least you went out on a limb for Woodson. I mean, they suck. But, um, (laughs) I mean, Michigan State, I wasn't even going out on a limb and, and they're not very good. Yeah. You got any other predictions that you were able to get cobble together that fit the mold of up in flames for coach of the year, just as a general, uh, for any of our predictions, just any, any predictions. I'm just um, saying, cause I, I, I mentioned golden and Woodson because they fit the bill and they just so happen to be my COY predictions, but 
truly any other predictions if you if you were able to see them. What do you think about our Pac-12 Player of the Year prediction? Did we both go Balo? No, we no neither of us went Balo. We both went Collier. Oh, Collier. That's I mean that's completely in the garbage, but because he's hurt now. Yeah. So are we call? That's what I'm saying. Are we calling that up in flames? That's not our. Fault. Yeah. Okay. It's not our fault, but <laughs> we didn't I don't start know if he fire. Was, <laughs> I don't know. Was he on the? Was he on our proper trajectory? Like USC was not playing well before he got. Well, that's hurt. what I'm saying. Yeah. Are we getting bailed out by this injury? Because they're awful. They are so yeah, bad, terrible. but they are very hurt. They are very hurt, but they're awful and hurt as well. So they were bad even when they weren't hurt, unfortunately. So um, that one's up in flames, I would say, yeah. because no matter even if Collier comes back, USC so bad at this point that yeah. Um, yeah, I will say, I will say that um, I was right about something with the Pac-12 Player of the Year. So, and that, so, and that is that, well, is that going to be part of your trending up? Well, I'm just saying, no, no, no. I'm just saying that the national prediction of Umar Balo being the Pac 12 player of the year is clearly up in flames. And never even, I think, by the third game of the year, if you had listened to our prediction, you would have been like, oh, I'm sorry, I'm not trying to pat myself on the back when I say this, but be like, oh, Taylor was right. Like, Umar Balo is good, but he's not best player in the conference type of thing. So that fell off like, quickly within five games of the, of the year. And then Arizona was, was playing extremely well at that time too. Like they were blowing teams out. They were, you know, going on the road to Duke and winning, but even so Umar Balo is a part of the program, but he certainly was not supposed to be, and should not have been the Pac-12 player of the year favorite. The whole purpose of this Taylor is one accountability, but also to pat yourself on the back. That's a great take. You were right. So uh, those are some of our takes that were, are just dead. Right. We're 100 percent wrong. Hand up. We're taking a lap. Uh, Let's move on now. Gradually getting better to some of the takes that are not completely dead, but they are trending down. And wait, hold on. Oh, no, no. Go ahead. Sorry. I apologize. I apologize. Go ahead. Well, so I'm going to kick it off with yet another. Don't worry. I'm going to get to some other predictions. But uh, my coach of the year in the Pac-12, I said it was Tad Boyle. I don't think that's over just yet, but. It is certainly trending downwards. All right. I think right now the front runner, the big front runner is Dana Altman. I don't know if anyone saw Oregon having like a game or two lead in the Pac-12 at this juncture. Uh, I think you could make an all right case for Bobby Hurley because he's been playing well in, in conference play. Like overall record for ASU is not that great. Craig Smith at Utah, although they just lost to Stanford. I think it's pretty, I think the the pretty big front runner right now is Dana Altman, but man, Colorado, they endured an ugly, ugly streak this last week or last couple weeks when they got beat down in the desert. And then I think they lost in the Bay area. Was it, they didn't have Tristan De Silva. They didn't have Cody Williams for the game against Arizona, but then they got him back and they still lost. So Tad Boyle, it's, it's not looking good for call. They need to really ramp it up. And I don't know if they finish within the top two or three of the conference, there's a chance Tad Boyle could win Pac-12 coach of the year, but it's not looking pretty right now. And there's a ton of work to do for the buffs. Yeah. um, This weekend in the Pac-12 is going to have a lot to say about how this is all going forward. The California schools or the Southern California schools are in the desert this week. Um, And then, excuse me. And then, 
the Oregon schools are on the road at Colorado and Utah. So a lot of this could get really shifted here really quite quickly. Um, I still um, would say Tad's got a shot because I almost picked Tad. I didn't pick Tad. I picked Tommy Lloyd, which um, it's kind of in the same boat. But Arizona is still the far superior team in this conference. So there's going to be a lot to still play out, but I still think Arizona still, you know, wins this conference. And I'm still standing by that. They're going to win it by multiple games. By the time this is all said and done, I know that they are two games back right now of Oregon. Um, Oregon, I would say is outperforming their capabilities, which is not a dig at them by any means, which is why Dana Altman should be the favorite right now. I just don't think that lasts until, until March. Um, you and I were both high on Tad and Colorado. So I'm with you. I don't think that it's dead yet. We and we didn't we predicted Tad to win the coach of the year without them winning the conference. So again, our your prediction and mine, you actually went for it and went coach of the year, but our prediction was Colorado was going to be better than UCLA, which is very true, right? Yeah. And then that they were going to be better than USC, which is very true, although the injuries did that. We didn't have Oregon as high up. Uh, in this, but we Colorado is still has an opportunity to finish right exactly where we had them predicted at. It's just have they played well enough to elevate themselves to that level, or is it just the rest? Less of the rest of the pack has sucked so bad that they just end up in second or third place by default. Which then he's not going to win Coach of the Year if it's just because everyone else sucks. Right. I, I think he needs to make the tournament while finishing top three, and then he'll have an all right shot at that. But right now, uh, things need to change, and, and they need to get on a roll here, uh, do Colorado. So I had Tad Boyle winning Coach of the Year. That's that's trending downwards. The other one that I identified, I had Tyler Perry winning Big 12 Player of the Year. That's trending downwards. I thought Kansas State would be a lot better than what they are right now. Hey, terrific win against Baylor, but there are more impactful, better players. You can take a take your pick of the litter from Kansas. There's contributors from TCU, right? Iowa State's been pretty good. BYU, like there's so much talent in the Big 12, which wasn't necessarily a, a shock, but I just thought Tyler Perry would be standing out. I thought he would be doing what Wade Taylor's currently doing, who I also picked for SEC Player of the Year, and he had 40. I, I think that's in good shape. But Tyler Perry has been it's just been a disjointed odd clunky season for Kansas State and that's why I want to see if this Baylor win's going to kickstart them but right now it doesn't look good for Tyler Perry winning player of the year I don't know if you have odds up or anything like that Taylor but I I, I can't imagine Tyler Perry on a team that's kind of middling and he struggled here and there for some games like in order to win player of the year you pretty much have to play a amazing an amazing game night in and night out. And I think Tyler Perry has had too many pedestrian games this season where this pick of mine for him being big 12 player of the year is trending downwards. He doesn't even have the highest odds on his own team. Kaluma has better odds than he does at this point. Thank you. So, yeah. Bury me. Yeah, that's rough. And at this point right now, I have the national player of the year odds pulled up just because it's easier to have all of these players we're talking about in one on one page here. But he's plus 15,000 to win the National Player of the Year. And just as a reference point, the favorite right now is Zach Eady, which is at minus 500. I mean, that's, you know, obviously way up there. But even, uh, you know, back from that Dickinson flip, Dickinson. 
uh, Newton, Dalton Connect, they're all in that 1,000 to 2,800 range. So that shows you how far back um, that uh, Perry and Kaluma and all those guys are uh, on that Kansas State team. So, um, yeah, not ideal. Wade Taylor, just because you brought him up, it's, I don't think Texas A&M just isn't good enough. Yeah, but he's so nasty. Like, he's I, exploded those last two games. He is, but he's still only shooting like 35% from the field for the year. And that is one thing that I specifically said, if they're going to be good this year, he can't shoot like he has in the past. And despite the fact that his very basic box score numbers have looked good, he's still not efficiently doing any of this. And that was the key, is that if he was going to win the player of the year in the SEC, and if they were going to be good, Texas A&M, that that he was going to have to shoot more like 45% than 35%. And that's... I'm not saying that it's all his fault by any means that they suck, but he certainly hasn't improved in the ways that they needed him to improve for them to be better than they are now. I guess it's just fun as hell to watch. You're right, though. You're, you're oh, absolutely right. Yeah, he is. He is. But like, he's kind of almost, I don't want to say he's Caleb Love circa like two years ago. Not exactly, because that's not exactly a compliment. But the shooting percentages, some of the the ways that he feels like he needs to carry this team, and not exactly going through coming through with that is very Caleb Love esque from a couple of years ago. Yeah, I see what you're driving out there, T. Uh, any other predictions from you that are trending down that you want to share? Let me see. Let me, I have one pulled up here that um, was not ideal. Excuse me. Do to do. Oh, um, this might be already toast, too. So we, this may have gone back a segment. But uh, Jim Laranaga at Miami was my coach of the year in the ACC. Uh-huh. So certainly not trending up. <laughs> I'll, t- I'll tell you that. So um, it's not dead yet, just simply because there is a little bit of time left or you know, a decent amount of time left. But just given what we've seen this year in that conference as well, I don't see Miami making quite the run that I would have anticipated them making. Um, at this point, there are certainly better options considering that NC State's 5-1, and one, Florida State's 4-1, and one, Wake Forest is 4-2, and two, along with, of course, Duke and North Carolina that are all ahead of Miami right now in the standings. That's a handful of coaches right there that could win Coach of the Year. And I think as we discussed on that preview episode, we didn't predict, well, I predicted um, Duke to win the conference. You predicted North Carolina, I believe. Um, yep. Or was that flip? No, yeah, that, oh. that was what it was. Um, so if Duke wins it, and I think I said this in the previous episode too, if Duke wins it, Shire should win coach of the year, right? But I figured I figured Laranaga was going to finish better than middle of the pack. So it's kind of the Tad Boyle discussion over again. Uh, in this situation, though, definitely not trending the right direction. Yeah, speaking of Miami and segueing into trending up picks, I remember saying that FAU and Miami, while not bad teams, were overvalued coming into the season. And I said, that's fine for both of them because they made the Final Four. What's the point of making the Final Four if you're not going to get respect the following season? I just told folks to be a little wary. What have we seen? FAU's Mm -hmm. lost to Charlotte. I mean, they've beaten Arizona too, but they've lost to Charlotte. What was another embarrassing loss? FGCU. Right. Miami doesn't look that great. So again, while not bad, those South Florida teams were not the 14, 15, top 15 teams that we saw coming into the season. And it's played out. Um, go ahead. 
the frustrating part for them too is you brought it up is they have shown the the ability to have a very high ceiling like you said like F, FAU played the game of their lives against Arizona essentially and so they have that ability it's just that they can't put it together consistently it's why we saw them make the final four last year because they do have the ability to go on those runs but it's just that the cons- that consistency is what they lack they probably should have lost to Tulane also. They got bailed out by a last-second call, now that I recall. But, Taylor, let's talk a little bit about our prediction. Let's get positive, man. This is now the time to pat ourselves on the back. I got a few, all right? I got a few that are trending up. And I'm going to start with one that I really wanted to put as a slam dunk. I really want to. But it's Ole Miss making the tournament. I said way back in, like, I think it was May, maybe even June. Uh, when when Chris Beard started working his magic, getting some, I think he brought in Alan Flanagan, uh, and he was hitting the recruiting trail. I was like, look at it, look. I like this Ole Miss team. Jamin Brakefield, Matthew Morell. I was like, you know what? Chris Beard is an immediate impact coach. This roster's pretty good. They have they have the opportunity to ruffle some feathers, and I said, you know what? I would don't don't be surprised if they are like a fringe bubble team. That might have been my quote. And right now they're ranked, or they've been ranked at at any point in the off season. Nobody thought Ole Miss would be ranked at any point during the regular season. So me saying Ole Miss going to the tournament, it's not hundred percent there just yet. They could very well like the wheels could fall off potentially. But I said they're making the NCAA tournament, and it looks very good. I think that's trending up, and I'm very proud of that one, by the way, because I don't think anyone t- gave two two rips, two thoughts about Ole Miss. But Chris Beard's doing an amazing job, immediate impact coach. So you know, some of the ones that we both picked that are trending the right direction um, are some of our transfer picks, um, both like Caleb Love becoming more of a team player, speaking of him again, uh, than he was at North Carolina is something that has certainly trended towards the right direction. Um, we both picked Tennessee to win the SEC. They um, are trending the right direction still for that. Um, we both picked Armando Baycott to win the ACC Player of the Year. I'm not sure if he's trending the right direction, but he's not trending down, right? Um, so I'm not sure he's the favorite. I think Flip is, is probably still the favorite right now. Um, but they haven't played each other yet. And those two games um, are going to be key in that battle for the ACC player of the year. Um, so I think we pick, we did right on a number of our transfer uh, picks. Um, I think we do have a pretty good amount of slam dunks, though. I will say from looking at our predictions, uh, even, you know, even in the Big 12 or Big 10, your pick of Michigan State's not good. But your pick of Tyson Walker hasn't been that bad because he's about the only player on the team that's played well. Mm-hmm. You know, so I'm not sure if you'd say that's trending up, but I don't say I don't know if it's trending down necessarily. Yeah. So we'll get to the slam dunks. I got a yeah, few I'm not, other yeah. trending mm-hmm. ups that I want to talk about. The next one, and I pulled up the audio from it, Taylor. But the next one, Rick Patino. I said Rick Patino is going to be uh, coach of the year in the Big East. So here is uh, that audio. This is when we had the crier on as well. Just head over heels for Rick Patino. I'm sorry. And I'm so glad Rick Patino is back in the limelight six years after the nonsense that occurred in 2017 when everyone was shouting from the rooftops that college basketball would never be the same, that these huge names 
would be dragged through the mud and that their careers were in jeopardy. Uh, not the case. Rick Pitino back after a couple of uh, years at Iona, successful years at Iona, and now he is in the Big East at St. John's. This is honestly, majority, it's 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 a narrative pick, Cryer. I'm, I'm not going to sugarcoat it. Uh, but they can be a tournament team. You mentioned prior to us recording that you're not sold on them being a fringe top 25 team. Neither am I. But as as it relates to them being a top 68 team in the country, I think they can be. I think they're somewhere in the 50 or 60 range this year. And I'm never going to put it past Rick Pitino to uh, create some magic. He, he He's an immediate impact guy. When I look at transfers during our preview when i look at coaching hires i look for immediate impact guys and rick patino is a veteran arguably a top three or four coach in the entire country so at the very least and i said this in the offseason when they were get, bringing in guys like like jordan dingle i said they got a stew going like at the very least the excitement and the juice is back in queens uh, whether or not that results in a ton of wins I don't know. I'm I'm going to err on the side of them being a tournament team, but at the very least, he's built so much excitement around the program that we haven't seen since like the very early days of Chris Mullen. And Chris Mullen had the fact that he was a a alum and a player, right? Rick Pitino has done that. Uh, the thing I, I will say about St. John's is a lot of times people look at programs and they're they in experiments, I guess, and they say this is either going to be a fantastic supernova experience or a complete disaster. I think it could very well be a complete disaster, but the the ceiling for this team, I think is like average. If they're average, that's a huge win. And I think that'll be enough to get uh, the coach of the year for Patina. So I think I was pretty, pretty good on that. I, I don't think they're world beaters. I don't think they're incredible, but they're a little bit above average. And right now I think they're in the field. And I think that should be enough to get Rick Pitino coach of the year. Last point I'll make is that he wasn't there Tuesday night against their shellacking against Seton Hall. So that should actually work in his favor. Like, do you see this team without me? They gave up a 24 nothing run. Uh, I like my Pitino pick there. I agree. Um, I think a number of our picks that I want to pick as trending up are actually slam dunks. So I, I'm, I've got no more trending ups. I think, I think I'm on to slam dunks. All right, let me finish up my trending up. Yeah, and then it's go all ahead. Yours. That's what I'm saying. Go you ahead. Mentioned, uh-huh. You mentioned UNC winning the ACC. Uh, that was in my uh, in my list. And then I gotta I gotta pat myself on the back for uh, talking about Grant McCaslin in the mm. off season. He's ranked right now, and as we're recording this, I think they they go to Houston, which is tough. It's not even the kiss of titch. All right, Houston's just nasty. So. Uh, the fact that Grant McCaslin, though, has this team in the top 25 is very, very impressive. Here's what I had to say about him in the offseason. I'm actually going to go with Grant McCaslin here, Taylor. I am a huge Grant McCaslin guy. Texas Tech is going to go back to the NCAA tournament as a low single-digit seed, maybe a high double-digit seed, that 9 to 11 range. All right, one of your favorite guys, one of your favorite names, Pop Isaacs. He's going to be the man. Need him to facilitate a little bit more, I think. But I love what Grant McCaslin has as it relates to a roster here, for especially for his first year. Joe Toussaint, he adds a veteran presence, leadership. He's been around the block. I think he's been at Iowa. He's been at West Virginia. And now he comes here to uh, Lubbock. And then Devin Cambridge. We know Devin Cambridge very well. 
former ASU man, also played at Auburn. He's a steady and consistent presence who can give you 10 and 6, and he's played at a high level. But let's go back to Grant McCaslin here. Uh, he built UNT. I'm going to look at what he's done previously. He, he built the Mean Green. He's been to the tournament. He's beaten Purdue. Uh, and so I, I think you, you look at it from a big game perspective, he's got that under his belt. Uh, additionally, Tyler Perry, who we're going to get to probably later in this episode, where did he come from? Everyone's talking about him at K-State, developed under Grant McCaslin at North Texas. Magnificent player. And I'm sure even Perry would credit McCaslin uh, in helping with his development. Let's continue to take a look at last year. Uh, McCaslin and North Texas, they lose to FAU by a combined eight points in two meetings. The man can coach his ass off. He won the NIT. Grant McCaslin is an immediate, immediate impact guy. I look at him to have some sort of Jerome Tang type of first year, maybe not as good as Tang where they win a ton of games and go deep in the tournament, but resurrecting that Texas Tech program after they were dormant for a year. Remember, they were only a couple of years removed from playing a very good Duke team to the, to the wire. Uh, Paolo Bancaro led Duke team to the wire. I think the places are, are there, or the pieces are set so unpacking that very quickly, strike the Devin Cambridge stuff out. Unfortunately, he's hurt. That sucks. Uh, Tyler Perry, I know I, I used him as evidence of the greatness of Grant McCaslin, but I think I had also mentioned that I foresee them as like a 9 through 11 seed. I think that's very much trending in that mm -hmm. direction. And Pop Isaacs has been great. Um, so this Grant McCaslin pick, I, I think – he could absolutely, he's in a prime position to win Big 12 Coach of the Year. I'm not sure there's any like crazy surprises coming out of the Big 12 where you're saying to yourself that coach should win it. And it does kind of give me a little bit of uh, a, a remembrance or, or a callback to what Jerome Tang did last year, just on a less level. So I was, I was happy with that McCaslin pick. Yeah. I mean, right now, as we're recording, they're in first place in, in the conference. As we're recording, is the like you said, they're going to play in Houston in about an hour yes. from right now. So maybe, I mean, if if we wake up or when people are listening to this, uh, and they beat Houston, then then maybe we move this to a slam dunk already, like retroactively here. So <laughs> I don't want to say four games in, but if if that's how it plays out, then I think it's a slam dunk. But no, you're certainly correct. Certainly trending, probably even more towards the right direction than like you said than we, than we realized at the time so that was great pick on your part yeah so i in thinking about this i i think right now the coaches of the year you can choose between west miller at cincinnati grant mccaslin mark pope at byu and then jamie dixon at tcu maybe i'm forgetting some other folks but those are the four teams where you're saying to yourself man these guys are doing really really terrific work but taylor i've hogged this quite a bit let me push this all over to you. Give me all your slam dunks. Go into as much detail as you want. I mean, you have just as many slam dunks as I do. So, um, and again, these are not things just to remind people, like we can't call Tennessee a slam dunk because, you know, like conference winners is going to be tough on this because there's still a lot of, of games left. But some things like player of the year is a little more uh, slam dunk worthy. Not that this was going out on a limb, but Zach Eady is going to win the Big Ten Player of the Year. You know, yes. I think that's I think that's a pretty much a slam dunk. Um, I think that 
Um, uh, we, we predicted that like Dalton connect would be a, a very good transfer for Tennessee. I think that's putting it lightly at this point. <laughs> yeah. So that was for sure a slam dunk. Um, Real quick well, on connect. Did you see that stat the other day that he surpassed Chris Lofton for yeah, friend of the program? Shout out. Shout out. Um, can we say that UConn winning the conference is a slam dunk? I know I just, I'm kind of going against myself in saying that, but. Who's their biggest challenger? It's probably as close as any conference would be to being able to declare that this early. Uh, Seton Hall, but See, they're better. Than no, you. they're not. Yeah. No, they're definitely better than Seton Hall. Yeah, of course. Just trying then to behind it. It's Creighton's not good. Nova's not good. St. John's Marquette sucks for some reason. Um, I think UConn is in all of these conferences. UConn is as the biggest slam dunk, um, which then I think subsequently makes the Hurley for, uh, you know, a little more. You you obviously have Patino, um, or you know, are high on Patino, but um, I think that's a slam dunk. UConn winning uh, that that conference. You picked Creighton, by the way. I did. Yeah. Ooh, that's a bad pick. Anything I hate like, Creighton this year. Anything you'd like to say about that? Um, <laughs> I'm embarrassed. Harrison Ingram being an impact transfer slam dunk for sure. Yes. Uh, that, that goes without saying, uh, like I said, um, players like Caleb love and, and Kishad Johnson for Arizona. I think they're still trending up because Caleb love is the type that could shoot himself out of being a, an impact transfer. Um, but I think those are my slam dunks, um, at this point, what kind of slam dunks you got? Oh, hundred. What? what do you think about big 12 player of the year? Well, I said, no, yeah, we, we talked about that, right? Because Hunter Dickinson's probably the ha, has the best odds to win national player of the year out of anyone in the Big 12, correct? Is there anyone in the Big yes. 12 that was higher than him on that no, list? No, he's pretty he's second in the in the country. So yeah. I think that's just as close to a slam dunk as as uh anyone other than Zach Eady. Yeah. Yeah. That's so no, that's a slam dunk. Uh, I'm gonna play the audio on the Ingram clip because great minds think alike. We talked about Harrison Ingram, but it is worth uh, bringing up and 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 going down memory lane on what we said about Harrison Ingram from Stanford over to North Carolina. Harrison Ingram is like a model of consistency. He wasn't a world beater at Stanford. He's a pain in the ass in the sense that he's going to get a bucket and he's going to get a rebound and he's going to make a big play every single time his team needs it. And there have been a lot of battles between Stanford and Arizona where, where Harrison Ingram was in the fold and in the mix. But I talk about consistency. Over the last two years, he's averaged 10.5 points, uh, 2.3 turnovers, essentially the same uh, number of fouls each game, same number of steals each game. Like his stat line reading of 21 to 22 to 22 to 23 is wildly consistent. And I expect that to be the case again at Carolina. Maybe a small little bump but I expect him to be a really impactful, solid contributor alongside we've talked about their roster ad nauseum, but RJ Davis and, and Baycott and, and Elliot Cadeau for the eventual ACC champs. So I'm starting off with Harrison Ingram. Yeah. So we nailed that T um, and the small little bump that I was mentioning, I think last year he was averaging 10. He's got like 12 and a half approaching 13. One of the coolest things I talked about with Riley Davis, him and, and uh, why am I blanking? Uh, Seth, Seth Trimble 
played the, we were the only two that played the last 14 or so minutes against Clemson. Huge big time get from uh from Hubert Davis and and Cormac Ryan's actually been a really good get for him, but Harrison Ingram's just playing so well for this team and he fits so well. He's perfect for the system that he's overshadowed the Cormac Ryan get. So definitely a slam dunk. And and Harrison Ingram isn't gonna be um the the guy that's gonna light the world on fire necessarily. He's just like that perfect uh not it's not even glue guy because that would be putting it way too lightly he's like the connecting piece to that team um i i would say you know where they need his contributions to be an elite team like they can be without they're good with him doing everything that he needs uh that's what makes them go uh baycott's gonna get his all day long he could be the only player on that team and his stats would still be probably the same but a guy like harrison ingram who's got a whole you know a bunch of different skills he's not just a scorer he's not just a defender he's not just a rebounder uh he's the perfect connecting piece for that team so yeah good call on on good call on our part there on that one well done uh my very last one and then we'll wrap it up and get into segments but i had said biggie's coaches are going to be more compelling than the players i think that's a slam dunk it's very subjective but we've already got subtle shots being thrown by rick patino to dan hurley about not uh not complaining to the refs or yelling to the refs. We got Rick Pitino saying he wants to die after, after losses. We got Thad Mata having a resurrection and a resurgence with Butler. They've been playing pretty well. How about Shaheen Holloway in year two, taking this team and moving them along. Xavier has a steep uphill battle, but Sean Miller's already given us some good content in the huddle. I don't know if you saw this when they were playing UConn about Alex Caravan. He's like, he's going to go for 50. And he just stared at all the players, uh, the coaches in the big East Shaka smart go. I didn't like it, but going on the floor and like defending essentially Baylor Shireman, the big East coaches are more compelling than the players. I said that, and I think that's coming to fruition. So We'll end it on a, a funny subjective one like that, that I'm just going to say is a, uh, is a slam dunk TD. Let's get to Damel dimes. You are scorching hot, my man. So last time we were here, you were three and oh, so you gave us some more winners and we touched on it a little bit at the beginning, but let's just recap St. John's Seton hall. You took Seton hall plus one. You won that bet probably at halftime. I would say Seton Hall hits Baylor, Kansas state. You took Kansas state plus two and a half sharp, sharp individual. I said it was very interesting. Baylor was leading throughout the game, Kansas state, a nice comeback forcing overtime. And of course they win the game. Big time win for Jerome Tang, Kansas state plus two and a half hits uh, the mountain West and, and the late boys blemished the record uh boise state minus five did not hit against unlv i'm telling you unlv has some weird wins like creighton they probably should have a win over utah state they have a win over new mexico now they have a win against boise state but that did not hit so that puts you mr damel at 14 13 and 3 on this season we're above 500 let's keep this streak rolling well i also told everybody to take seton hall and k-state money line as well um for just a little additional juice there um yeah god that boise state game was frustrating they couldn't make they couldn't get an offense or defensive rebound to save their lives rick patino would have died uh watching this team try to defensive rebound uh very very disappointing on what could have been a very profitable day uh for the second time in a row but we're still above 500 we're still making money and that's the key 
I am going to say this, and this is not a proclamation. This is the anti-version of that. I felt really, really strongly about our three from the last episode. I I thought those were were all great, right? I definitely don't feel strongly <laughs> about these three picks. <laughs> so, so hey, you just got, hey, I, it's full disclosure here. You know, I felt really good about those other those other ones. I don't feel quite as good, but I still feel good. So let's get into it. So we're going to go to a team that we talked about way, way back as a as a good loss for a team. But this team, Memphis, sneaky, sneaky. I feel like they're just not being talked about at all. They're 15 and two this year. They've got some good wins, right? They're hosting South Florida, a team that they've beat pretty much every time they've played them over the last five years. Uh, they're th- favored by 13 at home. So we're going to go Memphis by 13 against South Florida. This game, this line is a little interesting. I'm sure it's going to irk. This pick might irk a couple of our listeners, but we're going to roll with it anyway. Illinois goes on the road to Michigan. Michigan coming off a win, good win, I guess, against Ohio State. Um, A win, I guess we'll call it. (laughs) (laughs) That's all they needed. So, I mean, they're, they're coming off that, but um, I can't remember which reporter or who it was, but they called Michigan the biggest clown show in the country going on right now from a basketball perspective. So one win over your rival, Ohio State. Both teams are not good anyway, Ohio State and, and Michigan. Or, well, they're whatever. They're whatever. Um, yeah. They're whatever at best here, right? So um, Illinois has its own issues of course, as we've referenced before, but they're playing well, even uh, through some of these issues. So Illinois goes on the road, two and a half point favorites. It's hard to win on the road in college basketball is what we started this show with. Michigan sucks though. So like, let's, let's so we're going with Illinois. And then another team that in our preseason prediction, we predicted as perhaps the worst or one of the worst power five teams in the country. That's Oregon State. They've actually played a little better than I anticipated, but we're taking Utah because they've played much better than anticipated. And Utah at home is a whole different animal than they are on the road. Utah is a 15-point favorite against Oregon State, but Oregon State is not good. Um, They've definitely played better, but I like Utah. Utah at home has been a buzzsaw in in certain circumstances this year. Utah's a weird team. Um, They're either blowing you out or like it's going down to the last second there's like no little middle ground it seems like at least in the games that i've watched of utah so that's utah by 15 over oregon state that is illinois by two and a half over michigan and it's memphis by 13 over south florida you hate to take all favorites but that's just what we're gonna have to do this time on damel dimes hey damel's heating up folks so get on board South Florida, Chris Youngblood. I know you love that name. Transfer over from Kennesaw State going into Memphis. Uh, you're right. Memphis it, it has not been talked about. Illinois, Michigan. Illinois, man. What a golden opportunity they they missed against Maryland. And they could have had an inside track into a top three seed if they beat them. And now they kind of just got to work to get back to that point. Last time they were a one seed, Taylor. I'm not saying they are a lock for a one seed, but last time they were a one seed, they lost to two religious godlike figures, really, and Sister Jean and Cameron Crutwig. So I don't blame them for that loss. The time previous that they were a one seed, that was 2005. So seeding kind of matters for, for mm-hmm. Illinois, for a team that hasn't been to the second weekend in forever. Uh, so that was a big loss against Maryland. They need to get right against Michigan. 
Oregon State, Utah, you're 100% right about Utah. I tweeted this the other day, but I think it was because they were in Palo Alto. They lost to Stanford. So I was like, both of you guys, both Stanford and Utah, like, can you decide if you're good or not? Like, are you decent or not? I cannot tell. So, yeah. And then they I blow out it. a UCLA by, or, you know, or within the same week, they blow out a UCLA by 50, 46 points, I think it was. Yeah. yeah. So, strange team, but I, I like them in this circumstance tough to get a pulse td let's get to our segments now not so mid who are you highlighting i'm highlighting a five point play that happened did you see this i did i love it yeah so five point play in the uh utah state um you and uh, what, what uh, uh unlv excuse me we kind of referenced it on the last episode but we didn't do these segments so um unlv is down by um or excuse me utah state is down by four or three excuse me um they, they hit a three and not only or no excuse me they were down four sorry jesus even i'm confused by what happened they're down four they hit a three and then while the ball is in the air there was a foul on the floor which resulted in two free throws a five-point play uh to essentially end the game to win um on the road at unlv i can't remember the last time i saw that happen um I've seen it happen in some dumb high school games before, you know, players not knowing situations and, and things of that nature. But yeah, to end the game on a five point play, that's not so mid. It was crazy. Absolutely crazy. And you know what? The the chickens came home to roost, I guess, for Utah State because they got blown out by New Mexico. They played with fire in Las Vegas, went to the pit and lost. I love that you're calling that out. My not so mid is Samford. Samford, baby. They are 16 and two and the class of the SOCOM. They went into Cullowhee last night and beat Western Carolina, another team that's been streaking. But Samford is red hot, man. They dropped their first two games of the year. One was against a pretty decent team that you may have heard of uh, called Purdue. And that was on the road. And then they lost after that to VCU. Since then, 16 straight, my friend. They are 16 and two. They are for real. They are going to be a team that I don't think anybody wants to play uh, come March Madness. And the season started out for them in the college basketball space as them kind of being a joke. No one was laughing at them. I think people were laughing with them. If you remember Taylor, their super short point guard, whose name is escaping me, took a jump ball against Zach Eady. And everyone was like, oh, look at the height disparity. This is basically Aaron Judge versus Jose Altuve photo all over again. And we're all yucking it up, having a good time. Samford, they get blown out by Purdue. Ha, ha, ha. We'll never hear from them again. Wrong. Samford is rolling right now. They are not mid whatsoever. So keep up the great work in the SOCOM there for Samford. All right. Let's move on now to your lane violation. What do you got? So this is going to be my sneaky way of doing two at once. Uh, I was going to pick uh, Kim Mulkey calling out, g- giving Caitlin Clark a hard time for some reason. Oh, like but shooting? We don't have players to shoot 40 times a game over here at else. She's just every year is getting to be more and more of a crazy person, uh, Kim Mulkey. Though still a good basketball coach. Um, but <laughs> what, what I, You're not wrong. What I am going to go with, though, is I'm going to go uh, lane violation on ESPN. Uh, on Martin Luther King Day, when they brought up Martin Luther King's stats as if they would a player uh, on the side of the screen. And um, 
January 15th, 1929, date of birth. August 26th or 28th, 1963, I have a dream speech. January 3rd, 1964, became first African-American named Time Magazine Player of the Year or Perfect Play Person of the Year. <laughs> April 4th, 1968, shot and killed in Memphis, Tennessee. Like, I this just didn't seem like the right. And then it's, this is, I'm going to uh, dance around this quite carefully. The people they were panning to in the crowd were of one color. Let's just Strictly. leave it at that. Strictly, like so, I was you're kind of sitting there, like, what are we, what are we trying to get at here? Uh, ESPN. We could have just said, yeah. like, who, who rubber stamped this? We're like, this is a good idea. Someone could have brought it up and been like, oh, maybe we should do something. And then most people would be like, ah, you know, we don't even need to do anything. Let's just honor the man. We don't need to bring up his stats as if he was a college basketball player and then just pan to people of a certain race in the crowd while highlighting this. So, yeah, I, I'm thinking that's a lane violation on ESPN's part. Did you see what the Raptors tweeted out their graphic? Uh, I did not. No, they absolutely deleted it, which they should have. But you know how, you know, like in a bar, there's TVs that the intersection, they don't like get together a hundred percent, right? Like it's, it's quadrants essentially. So they did that with Martin Luther King for some reason. And Martin Luther King is right in the middle of what could be construed as a mm. bullseye. The mm. Raptors, man, like what were you, some of these social media, like it is mind blowing to me how disrespectful no, and tone deaf you are. I'm not sure anyone will beat Florida state throwing a, um, throwing a receipt glove on Martin Luther King and, and having to run a slot fade. Uh, <laughs> that was an incredible graphic that I can't believe is still, still on their Twitter five years later or however, like they never deleted the tweet. So that's like an OG Twitter. You know, how there's like, a, we talked about this last episode, OG YouTube, like YouTube hall of fame. Mm-hmm. That one might be in the Twitter hall of fame as well. Oh, Just I mean, the- yeah. And I, I remember there was a certain sub segment of time where like magic city and um, like certain strip clubs in the South uh, were throwing like, Martin Luther King celebration and throwing him in the graphics. I, there, for some reason, there was like a two-year stretch where this was happening, and I don't know, understand who approved of all of it or whatever. But it is talk about just tone deafness for Florida State. Your school is already considered kind of to be racist already, <laughs> yeah. just in everything that you that your your mascot and what you do during the games, and then you throw a receiver glove on Martin Luther King. Not really. I don't. <laughs> PR not their best uh, trait down there uh, in Florida at Florida State. Just put a re- like put a live action shot of him addressing a crowd or something. I don't know. Like just say, picture. It of can't the man, be that difficult. Yeah. Picture of the man, a twenty second part of the I, I have a dream speech, and just say you know thank you for all of your contributions. You're one of the greatest Americans. Uh, you know, I mean, you don't have. I'm not trying to downplay the importance of Martin Luther King at all. No, I'm saying, I, I get I'm it. Just saying, I get it. I'm just saying it is not hard to honor someone without being offensive, right? Yes, I agree. I agree. I like that late violation though. Uh, mine is gonna be regarding Hunter Salas. So a couple nights ago, Wake Forest traveled to NC State in a chippy, chippy, chippy game where there were technicals. My favorite referee, Jeffrey Anderson, was doling out like six technicals, high knees Jeffrey Anderson. But towards the end, uh, NC State hits an and one, and they're storming back into the game. And 
the player who hits the N one for NC state is, you know, flexing. And I think, I don't know if he necessarily saw, it was one of those deals where I don't think he saw Hunter Salas, but I think he could have felt that Hunter Salas's presence was there, but he bumps into Hunter Salas and they go nose to nose. And, the NC state, another NC state player comes in to shove Hunter Salas away. And so there's kind of this, this not a huge scrum to sort out, but the reps, of course, because it's like, it's like a baby to a bottle or a nipple. Like I got to go to the monitor, have to, I need to go to the monitor. Like, where's my binky? Where's my monitor? I have to go. So they go to the monitor, check out the whole scenario after about 15 to 20 to 30, what felt like an hour, uh, the refs come back and they say, Double double technical for Hunter Salas, who wasn't the only one thrown out. A player for NC State got thrown out. But I'm looking at it, and if you look at the replay, Hunter Salas didn't do anything. He's the one that got ran into, so he just goes nose-to-nose. There's no shoving. There's no pushing. NC State player comes in to go nose-to-nose with Hunter Salas. He's just doing that. He's not, like, backing down or throwing. But I had no idea why he got tossed from that game. And Wake Forest ends up losing, and they're probably heading straight for the bubble again. But Hunter Salas, I feel for you, man. Lane violation on Jeffrey Anderson, who is one of my faves. But poor work. They lost the plot. Let's get on out of here now, Taylor, on some positivity, your easy layup. So I'm going to go with something that if you and I were watching the game together, as we've watched several basketball games together in our lives, we both would have yelled one thing, and not the ceiling, but floor. Floor. How about Zach Eady, seven foot four, yeah. national player of the year, getting on the floor of a 17 point game with three minutes left? You know, I'm not saying that college guys um, treat this type of stuff the same way that NBA players do. You don't necessarily see NBA players getting on the floor that in certain situations, but um, I just say shout out to him for, um, you know, being the what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, kind of the example for college basketball players, best player in the country, national player of the year, still getting down and dirty, up 17. The dichotomy was striking. I think it was Kalel Ware, who has NBA, who has more NBA talent than Zach Eady, kind of bending at the hip. And you just see the the difference, I suppose, between the two. But uh, at least on that play, in terms of effort. But yeah, Zach Eady getting getting down and dirty. My easy layup, real quick. I'm gonna reference that NC State team again. BJ Anya, DJ Burns, BJ, DJ, big boys, the big boy alliance. It just dawned on me that their names are somewhat similar, and they have pretty similar uh, physiques. My other, my other uh, easy layup, real quick. Cincinnati, really impressed with Cincinnati and West Miller, man. They were on the cusp of losing to TCU, which would have been their third straight loss. But if you really look at the games and if you look at the scores, you know that they're competitive and they were in every single game. It would have been a ruthless, brutal three-game losing streak because they lost by one to Texas They because of a Max A's missed game winner. They go on the road to Baylor in a brand new setting for Baylor where people are still fired up and they only lose by three. And then you got to come home against TCU, who probably should have beat who probably should have beat Kansas. They did beat Oklahoma. TCU a top 20 team. And what does Cincinnati do? They force overtime. They're gritty. They're down in the mud. And they get the win in overtime to snap a mini two-game losing streak. I like Cincinnati. Historically, I like them. I loved Kenyon Martin. I loved those jerseys. James Flight White. Those guys were fun. The Big East days of Cincinnati. So to see them now on an upward trajectory, and to see what Wes Miller has been doing, this is some of his finest work. 
he's taken UNC Greensboro to a tournament, maybe a few, I, I forget. But this is Wes Miller's best season in Cincinnati, and he's doing it in the Big 12. They're competitive, man, and they might ruin a season. And they might end up on the bubble. So hat tip to Cincinnati. That's something I can get behind. Yeah, totally. And they were predicted to be, what, bottom three or four in conference, I think, Bad. before the year. Yeah, so no, huge shout out to them. We're going to get on out of here, Taylor. Uh, that was a lot of fun revisiting some of our preseason predictions. Uh, we got a great slate of hoops this upcoming week, and then we will be back next week. But as always, thank you for listening. We'll catch you next time here on Theater and College Hoops.